This is loudspeaker. Hi, and welcome to Connecting a Better World, where we spend time meeting some of the most incredible human beings who make this world a better place. We will learn how each individual took their ideas, mission, and purpose to create and serve others in business and organizations that surround social good, social entrepreneurship, and social impact, and find out how we, together, can further connect others to help. I am your host, Dr. Natalie Phillips. Today, I spend time with Lieutenant Anthony Waite, a husband, father, active duty naval officer, nurse, educator, and most of all, a leader and coach who is dedicated to being intentional with how he influences those he leads and loves. Anthony shares with us about a youth organization he developed dedicated to raise up the leaders of tomorrow called Guys in Ties. Focused on fourth through sixth grade boys, Guys and Ties provides educational and inspirational environments for positive influence and personal growth. I am super excited because I have a very good friend here on the show, Anthony Waite. And I have to say, I feel so blessed to know someone like you. We met on Clubhouse back in January, and I am just blown away by the knowledge, the discipline, the strategy, and the inspiration that you continue to share with your friends, your colleagues, and also your followers on social media and in your leadership coaching and your training as well. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Dr. Natalie. It's, it's an honor to be here, you know, and it's been a blessing to have you in my life and on this journey. Uh, you know, when you, when you get like-minded people around you, I think that it, it gives you a lot of momentum and motivation to keep going and keep, keeps you up whenever you're feeling like those days where you're like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> Why am I doing this? <laughs> so. Yeah, it's definitely giving me a lot more positive um, energy in this world and then just positivity overall. So let's get my listeners introduced to you. Tell me a little bit more about your story and who you are. Yeah, so Anthony Waite, I'm active duty naval officer. I mean, that's what I do inside the uniform. I'm an educator. I train doctors, nurses, and our corpsmen on combat medicine and also skill sustainment. So I do anesthesia a couple of days a week as well. And with that, that's allowed me to kind of travel the world and provide medical support to over 11 countries now. I mean, it's been such an honor to serve in that capacity. I looked at my skill set and what I was really passionate about. And while I love medicine, I love the naval officer side of the house of being a leader. And what I did was I, I was able to take that and transfer it into the civilian side and start a program out in the community called Guys and Tides, which I'm sure we're going to talk about today, but also train executives and middle-level managers on how to communicate, how to connect, and really how to build the confidence to lead with character opposed from credentials. What I found is that that niche was very fruitful in the sense that there was a lot of people who had the position, they had the title, but they didn't have the confidence and therefore lacked the competence to lead others by who they were instead of just what they did. So interesting too, because I feel like when you're in the military, like you have to have a certain amount of confidence, right? But I guess maybe not everybody are leaders, right? And that's just, you know, in real life as well. So I think it's really interesting uh, that you said that and that you continue to grow that leadership and that passion into something. I love how you're able to work across the board now because I'm looking at the different ages that you're working with and the different um, interests as well. And I think that it's really kind of cool. 
let's go back to kind of like your upbringing. And did you have a role model or someone that you looked up to while growing up? Everybody assumes being in the military, wearing the uniform, deploying around the world, that you have confidence. But what I found is, and what really got me on this journey was, I had the title, I had the positions. I was a brand new commissioned officer with 10 years in the military. I worked with the President of the United States. I've been very fortunate to work with some high-level executives and some of the best surgeons in the world. But when it came to confidence, I lacked in that, that capacity. It was easy to lead by the medals. I mean, on the outside, I, I was bigger on the outside than I was on the inside. So what you saw was like, man, this guy who's who's in shape, he's he's a motivator, he's, he's going after it, taking all the hard jobs. But on the inside, I was still empty. I was still kind of broken, if you will. I, I lacked that internal guidance. And I would say it was it was the confidence. I lacked it because my character was flawed. And, you know, going into my childhood, I think that that was child wounds that I brought into my adult life. And I didn't know that they were there until they showed up in my life in certain areas. And one of them was leadership. Wow. And what's interesting as well, too, is you have an Anthonyism that we, uh, our dear friend Sloan and I tease you about, you know, leading with character, not credentials. And I think that's exactly like what you're saying is you could have the uniform, you could be, you know, pressed and, you know, cleaned and shiny, right? Your shoes and everything like that to the yeah. nines and, and everything like that. But inside, it's still that leadership. And maybe it did go back to kind of your upbringing. But it's interesting how when it hit you as well was when you were in that height of where credentials could have easily taken over, right? But instead, you still had that, I'm not too sure, like I, the the imposter syndrome or the lack of confidence, which as I look at you now and, and as I know you now, of course, I didn't know you back then. I'm like, you're crazy. Like, you're absolutely crazy. But you did the work. That's the point, right? And so yeah. what yeah. you felt back then, you know, to the person that you are now and, and who you lead and how you lead really talks to the character of the hard work that you decided to put in. And maybe that is just your character, right? That the hard work that you do is something that now transfers over to the leadership and the hard work that you put in to now lead. Yeah. You know, in that, in that epiphany, I think we all have it at some point in our life, right? This aha moment where we say, wow, here I am. And people look at us and they say, man, well, you know, people want to be like you. They want to be you. I mean, I've ha I had people come to me, you know, grown men say, my son wants to be like you. He he idolizes you. And I was like, me? Why, why me? Like, you don't understand like who, who, where I came from. And to share a little bit about the childhood that Karen had carried over into, you know, my adulthood, that epiphany came to me when I was coming off a night shift. I was a brand new nurse working on a critical care floor and I was seeing very sick patients. There's people dying all the time and I was on rotating shifts and it was exhausting. But not only that, I was a brand new officer. I was a brand new father. I was a brand new husband. And so all these changes in my life, my personal and professional life, you know, and what that did was it, it left me open and exposed. And what I found is that while I can go in the uniform and go to work and lead and do all the medicine and show my credentials, when I came home, and it was one day, I remember one morning I came home and my, my, my wife and my son was just, they were sleeping because it was 6.30 in the morning. And I remember walking through past our bedroom and I slept in the guest room because I didn't want to wake them and he was just a baby. And I remember looking over at them sleeping peacefully and I thought to myself, man, I got to get my stuff together. You know, I was insecure. I was I was struggling. I didn't know how to be a man. I didn't know how to be a father or even a husband because growing up, my childhood, my dad left when I was two. He, you know, he chased a drug addiction that he battles with even till today. You know, you know, at four years old, I would witness my mom attempt to take her life by overdosing on her depression medication. So she struggled with her mental health. And that kind of set the tone for most of my childhood. You know, most people say, you know, oh, you know, remember your childhood and all the great things that happened. And I, I never had memories of my childhood. I couldn't because it was a lot of trauma. It was a lot of abuse. And 
it was one of those things where we had an unfortunate circumstance. We were given away to a family that really didn't want us after my mom was put into uh, a psych hospital. And we would kind of go throughout our life up until, you know, we were 12 years old. My sister and I, you know, really getting the, the short end of the stick, if you will. You know, we created our identity around this, that we're not good enough, that we'll never be enough, that we'll never have enough. You know, when there wasn't enough food to eat, we didn't get to get get meals, you know. And so we, we, we had this ingrained in us that we don't have enough, that we'll never have enough. And it was a scarcity mindset that was set at an early age. And science shows that, you know, between the ages of seven and 12 is where we really create our identity, who we become. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was not much. <laughs> so to speak. So as I became a father and a husband, I had kids, I had my son and now we have two sons and my wife, there was a lot of things going on inside that you couldn't see on the outside because I was able to mask it by the title, the rank, the, the medals and all the degrees and stuff. And I thought that in order to be more, I had to have more. And that was my limiting belief that I had to have more in order to be more. I need to have more money. I need to have a bigger house. I need to have more degrees. And so I went on this this tailspin of just trying to achieve. And, and it was good because I got award, rewarded right away. There was an instant gratification. But as you know, when it comes to marriage and things that, that are good, it takes time. It's work. It's a daily thing, not just in a day. And I was wondering, why can't I get my marriage to work overnight? Why can't I be the father that I need overnight? Why can't I be the leader and feel like that person who's confident to go in these meetings overnight? And when I realized that leadership doesn't happen day in a day, it happens daily. And it's just like the microwave mentality that I share with my, you know, when I speak, the microwave mentality is, you know, you want something right away, you put it in the microwave 30 seconds a minute, you got your hot meal, but it tastes like crap, it's unhealthy, and, and, and it's it's full of, you know, crap. But if you want something good, you got to put it in the crock pot and let it simmer over all day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and sometimes we have to do that. Absolutely. So as you're glancing over at your wife and son sleeping, right, did you... I mean, you can say that to yourself, but like, I've got to get my act together, right? And it might have been an epiphany moment for you, but you had to put the work in. So what did you do to now then grow into the leader that you are? Yeah. So, you know, I went to work. I remember this day I went to work and I was coming on shift and I told my boss, I said, you know, I, I, I'm i struggling with balancing this work life. You know, everybody wants work life balance. And I don't I think I, I don't believe in it because I tried it. I still don't have balance in my life. You can ask my wife, she'll tell you. But I think what we need is work life harmony. And what I was trying to figure out was how do I find this work life harmony? But being naive that I the naive uh, person I was, I, I was looking for balance. And I tell people, you know, when you go to balance a scale, right, what's the number on the scale when it's at balance? It's zero. It's zero. Yeah. <laughs> that means you're not doing nothing. You're not being nothing. You never, you never, so you'll never have nothing. So to find balance means you're not doing anything. And, we're, and I was tired of not doing anything. I was tired of just being stuck and saying, well, I got to change. So let me just sit here and think about what I have to, you know, we just talked about the law of attraction recently in our clubhouse. And that's why I said, in order for it to work, you have to take action. That's the catalyst. And I was tired of just sitting back, waiting for things to happen to me. My whole life was that way. Everything happened to me, never happened for me. And what I realized was, in order for it to happen for me, I got to go make it happen. I got to take action. And so I went into my boss that morning. And I said, you know, I'm struggling, you know, my marriage, I'm struggling. I'm a brand new father. And I'm, just, I'm having a hard time coping with all of this. And you know what they told me? Just focus on your job. It'll, it'll, it'll get better. It'll get better. Okay. Well, thank you. Oh, and by the way, you're deploying next week for eight months. Okay. <laughs> thank you for, uh, you know, putting, putting icing on my, you know, my cake. And so I was faced with the deployment. And as I was getting ready to pack my deployment, we found out that we were pregnant with our second son. So here we are with, with an eight month old son and we had one in the oven. And my wife was like, wait a minute, now you're leaving for eight months. Like I'm going to be pregnant this whole time. 
<laughs> I'm surprised she, I, I still owe her for that, by the way. I'm paying it back every single day. But here I was. I was, I was getting ready to deploy and my life was upside down. And then I did what everybody else, I think a lot of people do. I thought, well, maybe if I go away, it'll, it'll all go away. Mm-hmm. If I just run from my problems, right, they'll just automatically disappear. Maybe like my boss said, it'll just get better, <laughs> whatever that meant. And so here I was getting ready to go on a ship for eight months and my wife pregnant at home with a eight month old. I went on that boat and somebody gave me a book. It's actually on my nightstand right now, but it was the 15 Laws of Invaluable Growth by John Maxwell. Somebody gave me that book and they said, here, read this, take it with you. And while I was on the boat, I don't think anything happens by accident. I think it happens for a reason, but we were cleaning right on the boat and I was I was cleaning up all this mess and there was these boxes. They were like, just throw them all away. And in this box, there was a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And if you've ever read it, it's a powerful book. And um, and I said, well, is this to belong to anybody? Did anybody drop this? Said, oh, no, it's from the last crew. You can just throw it. And I was like, I'm going to keep it. And I remember reading that book and 15 Laws of Invaluable Growth. And what I found was, you know, the power of choice. That, you know, somebody told me this. He said, you know, when we're born, we look a lot like our mother and father. But when we die, we look like the decisions that we made in life. And here I was playing the victim, saying everything's happening to me. The reason why my marriage is screwed up because I didn't have a father. I didn't have a, I didn't have an example of a marriage. The reason why I'm not a good man is because I didn't, I, you know, I was dealt a bad hand. And here I am reading Victor Frankl and how he struggled through the concentration camps, lost his family, you know, went through that whole deal. And he said, but no, so, something that we have that nobody can ever take away from us is our power of choice. And in that moment, I realized that I have to make a choice. I have to start making better choices. And I have to start making the choice that I'm going to fight for what I want. Instead of just letting life happen to me, I got to make it happen for me. So I went on this deployment. I, I served a lot of people. I got to do a lot of amazing things all over the world. And I remember coming home with a new found purpose. And it wasn't my job. It wasn't my credentials. It was my character and who I was as a man. I really, <laughs> I went searching for my meaning and I found it. And what I realized is this, and this is where I got this, this quote that I share today that you've heard often is, if you can't leave from behind your front door, you have no business leading outside of it. And I went to work on my, my family. And I was willing to sacrifice my career for the sake of my family. And what I did was I stopped competing with other people. I stopped looking at other people's life and comparing myself and saying, well, I'm not good enough. I'll never be enough. I'll never have enough. Because that was a story that was on repeat, right? Just replay over and over and over again. And what I did was I stopped competing. I stopped comparing and I started connecting. And there were three things that I connected to. I connected to my faith in God. I connected with my wife and started sharing my vision with her because I had a vision for me I want to go from climb the ranks of the military and go lead a lot of people and deploy and be a, be a superhero. But what would that mean if I if I was a, a zero at home? <laughs> so I connected with my wife. And most importantly, I connected with my why. Why do I do what I do? And it wasn't for the medals. It wasn't for the money. It was for the meaningful relationship that I wanted when I was a kid. And so I started creating them. And that's what I did. And over time, not overnight, I'm still a work in progress, I promise you. I started to change. And as I started changing the way I looked at things, the things I looked at began to change, including myself. When I looked in the mirror, I was proud of who I'd become without the, without the medals and the, and the uniform on. And as soon as I started connecting, I started creating the life that I wanted. I love that. Wow, it's so powerful. And a lot of people who better themselves do it because they want 
themselves to feel better, right? Or or they want to provide something or like you had a vision to, you know, definitely lead at home first before you stepped out of the door, right? In, in order to lead others. So what was so important? Because this is kind of, I feel like icing on the cake because it's not just that you did this for yourself, but now you're able to, like you're focused on giving back and it's and it's serving and, and you hard to have a heart of service because of your, your occupation, right? And who you serve, you serve our country, you serve others, you know, in the medical field as well. But when you talk about then stepping forward through your leadership to now give back, why was that so important to you? You could have just stopped at serving like what you were serving, but now you wanted to create something else. And why was that so important to feel like you had to give back even further? When I got back from deployment, I had opportunity to be on a call uh, with John Maxwell, who is now one of my mentors. For those who don't know John Maxwell, he's one of the biggest leadership and development speakers and trainers in the world. And uh, he had he was coming out with the, with a program where he was going to raise up other leaders and to go on to be coaches, speakers, and trainers. And I thought to myself, well, you know, that'd be nice, but not, nobody wants to hear me talk, right? I was like, you know, I just want to do this because I need a mentor in my life. I need somebody that can see outside this box that I'm in called the military. And I need somebody to see me and, and call me out for the man that I, I want to be. And I, and I got on a call with John Maxwell and his faculty, and I was there for about an hour and a half. And I remember sitting, we were sitting in front of this Tasty Frog. It was a little frozen yogurt treat thing, you know? And my wife and I, we, we'd go sit there and we're sitting in the car and I was listening to this call. And she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, and I turned it on the radio and she listened to it. And I was like, you know, that's who I need in my life. I, if, I, if I, when I get to that age, I want to be like John Maxwell. Like, you know, he's lived a very fruitful life and it wasn't because of what he got, it's because of what he gave. Mm-hmm. And. And at the end, you know, he said, we're looking for other people who want to be coaches, speakers, and trainers, but you also be mentored by myself and the faculty. Well, at that time, I just want to be mentored. I needed a, somebody I needed to look up to, and I didn't have that in my life at the time. And I remember going home, and I didn't have the money at the time. We were struggling financially, too, and I, I put on a credit card, our emergency card, and that was in my, my desk. Well, I have a nice executive desk now, but I had like a little, you know, like a little, <laughs> it was like a side table at <laughs> my desk. And I pulled it out, and I swiped a card, and it cost me a lot of money, but I was willing to invest in myself. And when I started to invest in myself, I realized the value that I had inside of myself. You see, we invest in things that we see value in, and I never invested in myself because I didn't see value in me. But when I put my money where my mouth is, and I said, you know what? I'm willing to go to the table of life and bet it on me because if I don't bet on me, nobody else will. I can't expect people to follow me if I'm not willing to, to follow me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's the number one question I tell people now. Ask yourself every morning, will I, would I follow me? And if that answer is no, then you got some work to do. And boy, did I have a lot of work to do. And I went to work, going, getting on the call, listening to John Maxwell, talking about faithful you know, servant leadership. And what happened in that, before I joined the military, I joined as a homeless teenager, right? I, I went through this this childhood that was uh, less than than desirable, but I, I was homeless as a teenager. And I was sleeping on a friend's couch, and I remember waking up and going to the recruiter. And people asked me, why did you join the military? And I really believed that it was that calling on my life that I wasn't created for struggle. I was created for service. I didn't know what that meant at the time, but now I do. Because that same question was asked to me two years ago, a little girl, I was speaking, I was doing career day at a school, um, just sharing my journey of becoming a Navy nurse. You know, how did you become a Navy nurse? And I share with them all the great things I did, right? And this little kid in the background said, well, why'd you join the Navy? <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, your family must be Air Force or Army because you said, it, you know, with a little attitude, okay. But in that moment, it caught me off guard because I never shared that story with anybody. I was very ashamed of it. And I never told people why I joined the Navy. And in that moment, I just felt something in my heart to share the, the the reality of why I joined the Navy. And it wasn't to serve my country. It wasn't to, you know, go and make money. It was because I had no other options. All my friends were going off to college and trying to figure out what school they were going to. And I was trying to figure out where I was going to get my next meal. And so the military was really a second chance at life for me. 
So I shared with them why I joined the Navy, my childhood. And when I got back to my office the next day, the, the principal was in the room and she reached out to me. She said, you know, Lieutenant Waite, the kids really enjoyed your story, but not the one about your career. It was the one about your struggles. They didn't care about your success. They wanted to know about your struggle. We have a group of kids that we've identified as behavioral problems. Would you come speak to them? And I said, of course, yeah, no big deal. And so I remember walking in the auditorium that day and it was a bunch of little boys. And I thought to myself, well, why, what's the deal with this? Like, why is it all young men? And they said, well, they're the ones that are causing the behavioral issues. And as we went through all the data and we started gathering all the, the demographics and what, why, why, what's the tying thread? It was, they didn't have a positive male influence in their life. And in that moment, I, I, I saw myself in each one of because that was my trajectory. I was the problem child. I was the one that you wouldn't have bet on that wouldn't, wouldn't have amounted to anything. And so we got together and I said, you know what? I'm, I'm mentored by John Maxwell. I have all these credentials. I never use them because I don't have the confidence to use, you know, like me speaking on stages. Yeah, right. Uh, but I had this curriculum and I think it'd be good if we tailor it to these young men. They said, you know what? That's a great idea. So that we created a 12-month program and it became Guys and Ties. And I, we tailored it to the, the young men and we called it Guys and Ties because you think about a superhero, right? Like Batman or Superman. They're normal people. But when they put the cape on, they put the uniform on, they become extraordinary. And for these young men that lack this confidence, you know, it's like this tie is kind of their cape. They put it on. They act different. They show up different. They're leaders. And my goal is to take them in this 12-month process to take it off the tie. And they still stay the same person they were when they had it. And that's what we did. And it was amazing because that opened the door to a lot more opportunities. And it was because I wasn't chasing a paycheck. I wasn't chasing the monetary value. I was chasing a meaningful purpose. And I tell people this, you know, if you want to find your purpose, be that person you needed when you struggled. And for me, I was being that person that I needed as a little kid, as a young man. And when I did that, I led with my heart. And when you do that, you reach for the heart and speak to the heart before you ask for the hand. And that's, and that's exactly what happened. And it it was an amazing opportunity to serve at a bigger capacity, something bigger than myself. Wow. That's such an incredible story because as you listen to how you grew up, right, and you didn't have it, you know, I can only assume that a lot of people don't have that. I don't know where it comes from, if it's the gut, if it's the heart, right, to then say, not only am I going to lead here, but I'm going to actually give back because I need to be that person that they that they might not have and I know I didn't have at the time, right? And that's so incredible. I love, I love the confidence, the instant confidence with the tie. And I love that it's over 12 months because I do believe that it doesn't just take one meeting, right? It takes repetition. It takes, but we had talked about this too, momentum, right? Of repeated actions in order to make a big change, right? And so what's super interesting is, is that it wasn't even on your radar and it sort of just plopped in your lap, but it was perfect at the perfect time and the perfect person to actually walk this out. So it's called Guys and Ties. And talk to me about the ages. It's a 12-month program. The ages that you include, it's for boys only. And what are some of the things that you do over the 12-month period? Yeah, so it's we, we ran a couple of tests with leadership and development through these grades, and we found that the sweet spot was really the fourth grade and fifth grade uh, boys. We tried it in middle school, but the, the, the turnout wasn't as great. I think really it has to do with that influence, that external influence, right? So society, you know, when they get to the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade level, they got social media, so they're kind of 
you know, they've already kind of ingrained what they were going and they're getting ready to go to high school. So they already have their their persona created, their, who they think they are, right? They're building their identity. But at the young age like that, you know, they still, there's still time to 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 capture them, show them there's a different way. And so we, we, we ran these tests and we found that, that that fourth and fifth grade are the boys that we can still influence and help out. And so how we did it was we did a family on the family day when the family brings their kid to school to meet the teacher night. We set up a table and we literally said, hey, moms, you know, here's a tie. This is what it is. Guys and ties. It's for young men who are looking to be leaders, who are looking for confidence, clarity, consistency and how they show up. It was interesting because the parents had to consent to it. And all these parents signed up. They're like, yeah, my, my son needs that. I mean, it was really cool to see. Wow. How long have, has this been that you've been doing it now? Like, is, has it been years, months? Yeah, so a couple of years now. So 2017 is when we started. We got to 2019, and then of course COVID happened. 2020, it kind of threw a wrench in it. We try to do virtual, but there's a lot of things going on with the schools, wearing masks and you know online schooling, and so it kind of stopped everything. But yeah, so it was 12 months, and what we did was we had a curriculum set for every month. There was a topic, so character, communication, service, and so they would have challenges every month that they would have to do in order to achieve these. What we had these little chips. And as they got these chips, they were able to get put into a selection process to go see the the baseball teams in the area, the soccer teams. So we had these vendors that you know could provide experiences or some kind of turnout. So it gave them a reward to help them kind of keep them encouraged, but also, you know, helps give them those, those wins. And it was things like you know one of them was you know who somebody you have to help somebody with their homework either in your family or in a, a grade below you so they got to go out and mentor other students or their sisters they were doing homework with their sisters and then you know acts of service they would take the trash can and bring it out for their neighbors and cut the yard and it was really cool to see because what it was was they would learn how to lead themselves and then now towards the end they were going to lead other people and so that was kind of the trajectory of it but it had so many different we have you know a whole curriculum that we created that, that started to compound on the lessons that they learned and how can we make this an applicable process so that when you learn about character now how do you put that into action right so it was more you know stuff like that and, and it, it was it was really cool to see the progression of these kids and the aha moments and, and the trajectory of, of how they showed up so was it just you that taught the kids the leadership part and the character part or did you you train other people in the schools or people that were interested to kind of help you out? Yeah, so that's where we were. We, we tested it out for a couple of years and then we started looking at bringing in other, speak, other speakers, other people that can train. And so the curriculum was created into a binder, like an SOP, so that anybody could train it. And the idea was to box it up and give it to schools that needed it. I think what, what really what really is important with that and what we were, where we stopped at was getting the right people to, to be able to do that. Because it's not... You know, it's, it takes a person that can portray that confidence, but also is willing to be vulnerable and compassionate. It, it, it was really unique because we brought a couple of people in, but they just didn't click. It didn't, it didn't connect with the kids. And I think that the train the trainer is one of the next steps that we would definitely have to do in order to give that to other schools. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of sitting here thinking about some of the things that you did, too. And if it's something that, you know, you have it in a binder, like an, a standard operating procedure, right? SOP, right? That's what it stands for, right? Yep. yep. Okay. And then um, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, like maybe online things or something that's replicable, right? And it is not a nonprofit yet. Is that correct? 
Correct. Yeah, it, it's in the process of becoming a five hundred one c three. Okay, so how did you get some of these um, like rewards for the kids, right? And you're collecting these these coins, or and and they're kind of turning it in, right? The system. How did you get some of your donations, if not yet a nonprofit? And I'm trying to find out: Are there things that you would need for listeners that are listening to this and, and thinking, "Oh my gosh, like I would love to be a part of it." I can't be a part of it like teaching or leading, but I can be a part of it by donating something. So where did you get funding or any donations or what kinds of things are you looking for? Well, a lot of it, a lot of it came out of my pocket and the other of it was just people that heard the mission and they're like, yeah, I'm on board with it. Like, absolutely. And it was really cool because that kind of gave us hope that, you know, that that people wanted to make this difference. And again, you're right. There are people that want to be part of it. They couldn't be part of it, you know, physically or in in that capacity, but they can give. And it's interesting because I was at a soccer game doing um, the halftime show for for the military and I was put into a suite next to the House Representative of South Carolina. And we started talking. She was, I know you from somewhere. She's like, you're the guys and ties person, right? I was like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> oh my and, God. And she said, she said, you know, we need that in all of our schools. Yeah. And she asked me if it was a nonprofit. She asked me if it was a nonprofit. I told her no. And she's like, well, when it becomes that, mm-hmm. she's like, you know, Boeing, Mercedes, all these people. She's like, I can get you, you know, in front of those guys to help with the program. And unfortunately, shortly after that, COVID happened and everything kind of went mm-hmm. <laughs> away. But it was really cool because we, me and her became really good friends. And and, you know, it just showed me that there was a possibility there. So, and then I deployed shortly after that. <laughs> oh, so, so that will stay though in South Carolina, because I know that you're moving as well to San Antonio, right? So yeah. will what you started in South Carolina stay, and then you'll start another one up in uh, San Antonio when you get there? Yeah, I think so. So in 2019, I flew to Austin, Texas, and we tried to launch it in four different schools. And that was in the prog- process as well. So we had a lot of great things happening, a lot of irons in the fire, but they just it didn't follow through. But once I get steady, you know, I'm getting ready to retire from the military. You know, I really hope to put this into my portfolio of things that I'm, I'm, I'm heading after. I, I mean, I think that there's a need for it still, and it's getting bigger and bigger. And I want to make sure that I, I stay on the forefront of that change. Yeah. And I see so many things too. And I know that your kids are uh, younger than mine. However, so just to kind of plant the seed a little bit too, once it does become a nonprofit, you can now have it associated with Amazon, right? And there's a certain percentage that goes to nonprofit with Amazon Smile. As well as I was thinking what would be cool is you could have a wish list. And so I have known, I don't know if teachers there with your kids yet, but I know that teachers um, with my kids have made Amazon wish lists and nonprofits have also made Amazon wish lists. So it sits there as a wish list of things that you would want. And then if people want to give that way, they can go to that wish list and then say, I want to go, you know, to that particular wish list and purchase the things that it goes directly to you too. So that would be something that you could, and I don't even know, I don't think you have to be a nonprofit for that. So you can start making your wish list, I believe. And as people are even listening to this, hopefully, you know, they're like, wow, that's such a cool program. I wonder what he needs. And, you know, if it's something that you can get onto a wish list and and create, then um, hopefully it will take off some of the burden of you having to fund some of those things and get um, everybody yeah. else who wants to help out with maybe not their time or their talent, but maybe financial that way it would help you out. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. I love it. I love it. Okay. So I know that there's kind of a little bit of a lull as you're switching states. (laughs) So do you know of any upcoming projects or ideas that you might be working on? Do you feel that if listeners want to get involved, that you'd be ready to kind of branch out that way? Or what kinds of things do you need to help move the needle forward at this point? Yeah, I think 
for me, having a, a cadre of maybe instructors or people that are passionate about the same topic that are interested in, you know, the youth empowerment and leadership and development, you know, as far as branching out, I think the big thing is, you know, if there's people in certain areas that aren't, you know, Texas or South Carolina that would like that, you know, the curriculum, I have it. It's, you know, it's, again, it's, it's really getting it to where it's a package to where I can just hand it off and it's like, it's plug and play. Mm-hmm. And then obviously people put their spin on it, but having a group of like-minded individuals who are, who are going for the same passion, same purpose to mastermind around, you know, something simple is just that you share with the wish list. I didn't know about that, but that's amazing. And it's awesome because I think something as simple as that can make a big difference. You know, these kids, just little things like, you know, school school supplies mm-hmm. you know paper markers stuff like that i mean it, it's 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 definitely a necessity and it's and it's really you know once i get to texas to get settled in you know if you work for a school district or you know somebody in the school district and, and you need a guest speaker i would love to come out and, and fly out to speak it'd be awesome i mean you know a lot of my speaking is executive and corporate level but the same things that i shared with those kids and guys and ties is the same thing i share with executive leaders in the military so you know it's leadership is leadership but that's something i love to do and if there's somebody who has ties to a principal or a school and they need a speaker to come out with love to sit there and, and, and speak, share a message and then see how, you know, maybe we can work together in the future once it becomes, it stands up on its, on its own own legs. Yeah, I can see this growing. Is, is there like a, do you have a vision insight where like if over the years, what would it look like maybe in, let's say, 10 years or 20 years? Do you see it? Do you see kind of something at the end or what you want it to grow in yeah i i i I hope to one day see it as you know maybe a curriculum inside of a school where they take it for extra credit and they get you know credits towards you know a leadership or development course when they go off one thing that i really would love to see as well and i was working with somebody that's in texas as well is maybe setting up a scholarship foundation and so you know towards the end when these kids you know they're they're in young young grades but follow them through high school and once they make it to a certain level you know we give them scholarship money to go to college and go off to get an education you know i think that that'd be huge and to have a scholarship fund to give to a young man to go off and do something great in the world i think that'd be amazing to see oh to be able to write a check you know to write a check for for to give it to a kid one of those big you know card checks (laughs) the one they give you on the clearinghouse (laughs) i love that that's a great idea love it. Yep. So just about the curriculum, kind of, I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but it's making me think now about a lot of things. Are you planning on or do you have curriculum in there just even with the health and physical fitness part of like what you do, right? Does that come into leadership as part of the 12-month program for these kids? You know, it, we did have some challenges, push-up challenges, sit-up challenges, and, and we had them compete against each other in a physical challenge. I think that's very important when it comes to leadership, but also as a young man, you know, pushing your limits and really mm-hmm. testing your skill, your, your mindset because the physical is directly related to the mental. And so we did have, you know, different things. They got to go, you know, and also going to meet these players, like the baseball teams and stuff like that. You know, they speak to them on physical fitness and health. And we have a little bit in there and we sprinkle it around in the curriculum as well. I mean, so the push-up challenge for the month, running, walking, and then they take their family members with them. So it's like, you know, they, they, they get their family involved. Oh, so much fun. I love that. And I think that it just, to me, it stands for, you, 
you know, who you are and just giving back in that way too. I'm hoping that it grows. I can't wait to kind of keep following it and I get to keep following it too. So it's super fun. Have you noticed any stories or experiences just in the last, you know, few years that you've been doing this that may have touched your heart and might be the reason why you continue to give back this way? So not even like looking back on the why of why you did this and your upbringing, you didn't have somebody there and, and you're now serving as that person and creating other leaders to serve as that person for other kids. But what about in the last three years while doing this and creating this, have you had any stories or experiences that you're like, yep, this is the reason why I'm doing this? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I I, I will say is that one thing that, that really touched my heart was that, you know, I know, knowing that I can't help everybody, you know, there's kids that went through the program and, and they ended up going into foster care. They ended up getting taken away from their families. And the truth is, is that I can control how they show up in school, but I can't control how they show up in the house, what goes on in their house. And so one thing that touches my heart is there was a num- number of boys that when they were going through a bad time at home and they come to school, they want to talk to Lieutenant Waite. They, they didn't want to see the counselor. They didn't want to see the teacher. They wanted me. Mm. One story that touched my heart, there was a young man, a little African-American boy. He was really, he's struggling at home and, uh, you know, he was he was a, one of three children and he was a little overweight. And when we started this, we asked him, you know, what's your vision? Like, what, do you, what, what are your goals? And he, he wanted to play football, but he never had the confidence that he would ever make it or do good. And the last year that we were together, he went out and tried it out for the team. He made it. He came back to school and he was so excited. And he said that it was because of confidence that he, he acquired throughout the program. And he made such good progress, you know, and he had such good things going on. And then unfortunately, you know, over COVID and everything, he was taken away from his family because something that his mom did. It was unfortunate events. And um, due to security reasons, I can't share it, but, you know, his parents did something that forfeited him his opportunity to continue to be with his friends, continue to play football. And he was taken away and given to his grandparents. And when I heard that, it was it was horrible because it's like, you know, you feel hopeless. You feel like, you know, wish if, if only we could have kept going and working together, it could have it could have changed. But those are the things that, you know, <clears throat> I think as leaders, we have to understand is that we can't help everybody, but we can do the best we can where we are with what we have. And right or wrong, I think that, you know, he'll remember those times that we shared throughout the program. And hopefully, if just one thing, you know, set his mind is that he's good enough. That's all. And so I think about that. And, you know, I, I was selected for a TED Talk and he was one of the stories of transformation that I was going to share. And then I heard that 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 news later on. And it was like, ah, it was just heartbreaking because, you know, again, it's it's one of those things where it, it's not about the money. It's not about the, the glory. It's about that transformation that you really hope for somebody else, because that's exactly what I needed. I, I needed that when I was that age. And, you know, I really I really hope that, you know, things happen for the best for him, you know, but it was one of those stories that just it is it continues to that I think about every now and then. And just wonder, man, I wonder where he's at today. Yeah. What's interesting, too, though, is that the transformation story that that you wanted to share might not have been the one that you thought originally, but it's still a story because it takes you to the other side, too. And it's interesting to hear that even though it wasn't the story that you wanted to share, it's still a shareable story because you you can relate it back to leadership, right? Like you just did. You can't always help everyone, but you can do the best you can at that moment, right? So that's still a great lesson, which is super interesting. So, you know, as we kind of close, before we get to the last question, I wanted to just... I wanted to brag on you for a while, for just before we <laughs> oh, leave, because I know we're here and I know we're talking about, you know, guys and ties. And you know, there's a little bit here and there that's being leaked out about how wonderful you are. I know you're not going to brag on it, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because there might be people like, 
where is this wonderful person coming from, right? <laughs> and so, like, share a little bit more about what else you do besides guys and ties. And we know that you're, you know, military officer and a nurse, and now yeah. guys and ties. But what we didn't even cover is your coaching and your training, your Lead 360, you know, you, your Who's Or Is This podcast. Let's talk about that real quick before, you know, we're done with this because I want people to know who you are in case maybe it's like, well, I'm not really interested in guys and ties, but oh my gosh, I think I might want to contact Anthony yeah. for this. <laughs> so let's cover that because it is amazing. So let's talk a little bit more yeah. about you, the what's, what's going on in Lead 360 as well as your podcast. Yeah, you know, so... In the military, I had an opportunity to mentor a lot of people that wanted to go enlisted to officer, kind of like what I did. You know, I was selected for a, a program that paid for my college and um, very competitive. So, you know, 400 people apply, only 15, 20 get selected a year. And I was fortunate enough to get selected and get commissioned as a naval officer. And I found out through mentoring thousands of people, right? Some of the best of the best. And these are special operations guys. These are high level people in the military. I found that, you know, they wanted to, to, to get to this level, but they were lacking in what the Navy would consider well-rounded, right? And that's where Lead 360 came from. It came from leading from the inside out, not the outside in. And one thing I was able to do was start this leadership and development program. What it did was it attracted a lot of like-minded individuals. And so what we do is we cover really three pillars and it's uh, personal leadership or development, people skills and productivity. And what I found is that when you start to focus on those three pillars, it allows you to create the capacity to start leading by character and not credentials. You know, a lot of people want to do a lot of things, but the first thing they say is, I don't have enough time, right? How am I going to do this? I'm already up to my neck and trying to just provide and, and be a good person. But when we sit back and examine our life and look at where we are investing time and where we are spending time, we realize that there's a lot of limiting beliefs that hold us back from pursuing the person that we need to become. And so this Lead360 group started and it started creating a lot of people. I think there's about 600 people in there now. And it allowed me to, a platform to start sharing these leadership nuggets that I've learned along the way in hopes that they would make the path a little straighter for people that want to follow. And um, it was really cool because what it did was it allowed me to influence some of my leaders. And my, some of my leaders are in that group. People that are on the board of directors for you know the commands that I were at and commanding officers of other bases are in there. And they shared with me like, you know, Anthony, thank you for opening up and sharing these because I struggle with this too. And I said, okay, well, this is a group. I don't want to be the best kept secret. So then I started the Who's Or Is This podcast. And so I have a business coach and a leadership coach. And uh, he said, you know, one thing I think about with you is that, you know, I think about an or because you're Navy. And here's the thing, right? And something I ask all my people that, are, that come to my show is, what does it mean to take to the oars? And so what it stands for is, you know, if life doesn't give you what you want and life will never give you what you want, but it'll always give you what you need. But when the wind does not favor, you got to take to the oars. It's a proverb, right? That if you, if you can't, you know, get to where you want to be, the wind's not in your favor, you got to take to the oars. And if you look behind me, that's actually one of the oars that are on my, my desk right here. And when I go speak at events, I give that to the, to the person who, who's running the event as a gift for me, that it's, it's, it's whose oar is this? And it really stands for when you're in a position in life and you say, why is this happening to me? Or you're like me and everything's happening to you and it's never your fault. And here's the deal, right? It, it might not be your fault, but it's always your responsibility. Mm -hmm. And whose or is saying that I'm taking to the oars, that I'm taking ownership, this is my or, and that I'm gonna get to where I'm going by my own work, my own work ethic, my character, my commitment to my life, because nobody's going to help you until you help yourself. 
And when you think about an or, right? If I asked you, Dr. Nally, what does it mean to take to the oars for you? Oh and my gosh. There's a lot of, I was going to say, are you asking yeah, go, me? <laughs> no, go. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? Well, Honestly, yeah. like I feel like I take responsibility. Like I don't rely on, uh, you know, a lot because you can't, you cannot stop and pause if you want to get to where you need to go. Right. And so I totally agree with that. I didn't actually know what it meant, but now as I'm listening to you, I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, like I was getting chills and everything like that. But yeah, no, I totally agree that to me, what it means is you cannot stand still in water, right? Exactly like what you explained. Yeah. Like you have to go, you have to paddle somewhere. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. And so, you know, it's pretty cool because I ask everybody that comes on there, like, what is it for you? What does it mean to take to the oars? And it's so interesting, the the responses that I get. You know, I've had Navy SEALs on my podcast. I've had a lot of different people and everybody has a different saying of what take to the oar means. But at the end of the day, it, it's it, it, it for me, it's, you know, we don't get a choice if, we're, if we create. We are always creating a life. Like today, we're creating our, our life. Every day we, we create and we don't have a decision or we don't have a, uh, a choice. To, but but create, but we do have a decision that we make every single day, right? The decision on what will we create, and I will have you consider that when you ask yourself, "What am I going to create today that serves somebody?" That's where the magic happens. And now, no longer do we chase success; we we pursue significance. And the success that I've had in my life up until now has always been a consequence of the significance that I've created in the lives of other people. And that's one of the philosophies that I'll continue to live by. Wow, that's amazing. All right. So, you know, with my last question, first of all, thank you so much for being here and for your time. And I mean, I get to spend the week with you really on Tuesdays and Thursdays in our clubhouse room in the morning. Uh, Guys, if you are interested, we will have information in the show notes to reach out to Anthony as well as join his free Lead 360 Facebook group. Because like he said, he grows content. He has lots of really cool ideas and drops a lot of valuable um, content. So if you're like, oh my gosh, like I need to have more of Anthony Wait, you know where to find him because we're going to have it all in the show notes. And so like there is no excuse to not have Anthony in your life. Um, so with that, I'm going to ask you just one of my last questions that I ask everyone here is what is one piece of advice that you can share with my listeners just on making the world a better place? Yeah, you know, when it comes to making the world a better place, I, what comes to mind is legacy. And one thing we have to understand is that your legacy will begin with you, but it never ends with you. And so my question for the for your audience is, what do you want to be remembered for? For what you did or for who you were? I, I think that sometimes we find ourselves feeling like we hit rock bottom. And I remember feeling that way when I was homeless and, and with nowhere to go. I felt like that a couple of times in my life. But what I found was that rock bottom is a solid foundation to build a legacy. And so my question and what I challenge your listeners is, every day we have a decision. And I, I want you to consider, don't think about tomorrow or just today. Think about 10, 15, 20 years from now. When you're laying on your deathbed, because we all be there. You know, as a nurse, I've seen a lot of people laying on their deathbed. We'll reflect on our life. And what I don't want for you is to lay in that bed with regrets. I want you to lay in that bed with bumps, bruises, scratches, you know, broken bones and say, you know what? I gave it all. I did what I came and I was called to do. So wake up every morning with intention, with discipline to carry out your mission and to live life on purpose and create a life by design 
and not by default. I love that. Thank you so much, Anthony. And like I said, you guys, but you need to get connected to him. And I am so excited that I get to watch this journey about just growing in everything, not just in guys and ties, but with Lead360 and with Who's Or Is This podcast and everything else that you're creating and your family as well. And so um, I just wanted to thank you so much for your time and for being here on the show and for being on the podcast with me. Thank you so much, Dr. Nelly. It's an honor to be here. And I just love doing life with you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to Connecting a Better World. And thank you, NOCO FM, for supporting this show. If you haven't heard, NOCO FM is dedicated to bring diverse voices and spotlighting a unique culture to Fort Collins and beyond. For more information, please visit www.noco.fm. If you connected to something in this episode, we would love to hear from you. Our contact info will be listed in the show notes, as well as you can reach us on our social media channels. Please feel free to share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. For more shows, please tune in to noco.fm online. This has been a production of Loudspeaker Networks. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.fm.